It's time for East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik. Brought to you by GovTech, your government technology insurance company. Check them out at GovTechInsurance.com. And by Accelerate Solutions, providing enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Hi, I'm Reba Magulik, and welcome to this episode of East Coast Hustle. Bob Dylan famously wrote, the times they are a-changin'. Well, today, if you ever feared or faced a major change in your life, a change that affected your family's business, money, where you live and what you do, get ready to meet Yvette Pagano. Yvette never dreamed that she'd leave her family's engineering and manufacturing business in Rochester, New York. Yet she made the most amazing career pivot into a controversial yet exponentially growing space, the cannabis industry. She decided to make a hard pivot towards a space that intrigued her, yet she had zero connections inside it. In three short years since making that pivot, she aggressively pushed her way into and upward in the industry, now as chief commercial officer of Gentech Scientific. I've known Yvette for over 20 years when we both started our first jobs at Ford Motor Company together. And let me tell you, I don't think I've ever met anyone with more hustle. She faced a lot of rejection, sleepless nights, financial concerns, but never once gave up on the pursuit of her dreams. We have a lot to learn from her. She is never one who takes no for an answer, and today is an extremely well-known and connected figure inside the cannabis industry. She resides in Rochester, New York, with her husband and two daughters. Yvette, we are thrilled to have you on the set today. Thank you, Reva. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, how are you? Good, I'm great and happy to be in DC and happy <sighs> to see you in person after the pandemic and all that good stuff. We were just talking about it. We actually haven't seen each other live for like over a decade. Yes, but we had so many video calls during <laughs> the pandemic. I felt like I was inside your house and chatting with you and your kids and vice versa. So Same, yes. same here. Um, okay, so Yvette, I really believe our audience wants to hear the whole story. I want to hear about what it took for you to make this pivot that you made in your career. I mean, who does this? So I had a you know major life event, which is I sold the shares in my family business and exited. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of a catalyst, obviously, to do some kind of pivot. So mm -hmm. um, that happened, and then I did some reflection and you know tried to sort of find myself, find my why. And um, really, yeah, got in introduced to and involved in the cannabis industry. Um, very passionate about the industry as an advocate, trying mm -hmm. to stand for normalization, destigmatization, and all that. And really, just um, once I got a little taste, just couldn't get out of it. You know, <laughs> I was like, "This is so exciting and interesting," and um, and so I just had to be a part of it and and then I made kind of that my why is just somehow some way being part of this industry and then made made that my focus um mm -hmm. for getting my next career gosh so you put that in your crosshairs and that was it 
Pretty much. Because I know you. Once something's in your crosshairs, God help anybody. She yeah. tries to get in your way. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I sold the business and I knew I wanted to work again. You know, I was both mm -hmm. for financial reasons and also, you know, young and just wanted yeah. wanted to, to work and be in business. And so it was, you know, what do I want to do? And came from manufacturing and, you know, I love sales. So at first I'm like, maybe some kind of in industrial sales type thing. And, yeah. um, and then, a, you know, lifelong cannabis smoker and advocate and you know when I started at car engineering in 2006 like working in cannabis wasn't a thing right, right. I didn't I didn't even know you could do that they're and so opposite that's what makes the story so fascinating yeah. so then once I was you know I paroled from car engineering if you will and had this kind of <laughs> clean slate I'm like well geez you sort of can look at this a few ways but um why don't you look at it like you just won the life lottery and now you've got a chance to, you know, do something amazing, have a cool, you know, second act, if you will. And and then, um, you know, the cannabis industry kind of popped up on my radar. I was just sort of trying to look for general jobs and it's light bulb went off. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's right. You can, you know, Rochester's very close to Canada. So yeah. just that whole thing. And um, I'm like, I got to I got to explore this. I want I want to be involved in this. But, you know, Yvette, I think you kind of take for granted, like, we always talk about, like, the person that has the hustle is cut from a certain cloth, we have a certain DNA. I think you take for granted that, hey, this is a normal thing, you know, everybody does this, but I know the struggle you went through. Like, I was there with you. Mm -hmm. You didn't have all the connections. It wasn't like being in the manufacturing industry or even the automotive industry. You were ground zero. You're starting from scratch. That would be very frightening and daunting to the average person. Like, why did you do this? Like, what was it? Where did you get your drive? I I hate to sound super basic, but I just really, really wanted to be in cannabis. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like it was a once in a lifetime opportunity mm -hmm. because it's only gonna go legal in the US or in New York State or however you wanna look at it once. Mm -hmm. And I feel like just like gay marriage, you know, when that went, there was never a state that's like, okay, we've passed gay marriage, but we changed our mind. Mm -hmm. No more gay marriage, you know, like once that genie's out of the bottle, it's out. Yeah. And so for me, I'm like, this this is it. You it's now or never, you know, there's no other industry. I mean one could argue psychedelic at this point but you know there's not a lot of mm -hmm. industries that have these generational you know wealth creation uh, events right mm -hmm. which I personally believe will be the biggest wealth uh, generation wealth creating event for our generation myself uh, um, but not only that but just something you know I really believe in and it was funny because when I first kind of announced to my you know network and friends you know I want to get in the cannabis industry People in my inner circle, like people who really knew me, there was like no additional explanation needed. They're like, oh, of course, of course you want to be in cannabis. You know, that makes perfect sense. You know, you're yeah. a lifelong smoker, you're an advocate, like you're, that's, that's perfect, you know? And, but then people who are a couple of degrees removed were like, why cannabis? You know, because yeah. I never had some big cannabis leaf, you know, bumper sticker on my car or anything. So I think right. for, for a few people, it was just sort of a, a yeah, just not surprised a bit or just, yeah, kind of took them maybe by surprise is the right word. So. What did you say to them? Like these people who were just like, what the heck are you doing? Yvette? I mean, I didn't get too much like, what the heck are you doing? Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I am a business person. So, you know, my circle tends to be more, you know, business investor type people, manufacturing people. And so mm -hmm. they really were looking at it from like the business or like the money angle. I so I didn't get too many people who are who said, oh, you're going to you're going to damage your personal brand or you're going to. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get a lot of that. Most That's of good. the conversations I had were curiosity. A lot yes. of people were very curious. Yes. Um, and then I'm starting to try to answer these questions myself. And then I would, you know, go on these, you know, go and meet with people. And then they'd start asking me questions. And I'm like, well, I, I just researched this. And so I could answer the question intelligently. And then I sort of made myself to be this, you know, authority figure, if you will, by by self-education and yeah. and that kind of a thing. And then, you know, I'd go to go to a conference, I'd post it on LinkedIn, and then people are like, oh, my, my cousin's got to grow <laughs> in New Hampshire. I was wondering if you, you know, and so then yeah. people would start coming to me for advice and opinions. And so... I mean, you've done it. You're very much a subject matter expert, a very much a subject matter expert in this arena. And it's interesting because I've watched it. Like I said, I've seen it before my very eyes evolve. A, the connections that you have in the space, how respected you are. Um, you've been speaker, you know, called on speaker in, in so many venues. Um, I'm just blown away. I think that, uh, you know, what would you say to the person out there, you know, let's say the 20 something or the, the future hustler out there that's like, I really wish I could make a change, but I'm not brave enough. Then stay where you are. I mean, I, you gotta, okay, you gotta try, say. right? Yeah. So, I mean, I... I think it's important, um, you know, I did do a pretty good self-assessment, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm like, okay, I sold the business. I got X amount of money for it. You know, I've got mm -hmm. that. And then, you know, I'm willing to, you know, take this chance and, you know, not have an income for, I wound up being a couple of years. Wow, um, that's a big deal. And then, um, but my, my in-laws, you know, I'm very close with them. And so I'm like, okay, if it all falls apart and you can't pay pay your mortgage, you could call your in-laws and they would help you, you know? And, yeah. and so it's like, okay, you know, we own a couple rental properties and, and so, you know, if it all fell apart, you know, okay, could sell a rental property. And, and so just kind of knowing in the back of mm -hmm. my head, like there is a plan B, there is a plan C, like mm -hmm. you never want to go to your in-laws for money, but you know, I would do it versus losing my house. And, you know, right. I'm very fortunate I never got in that situation. But I think when you decide to pivot, you're like, mm -hmm. you have to, keep in mind, you know, what your circumstances are. So maybe you can't quit your day job, you know, maybe mm -hmm. you're doing something on nights and weekends, you know, or, or maybe you're, you're doing your hustle, your passion, and you know, you're waitressing at night, you know, and, and so I would say that you can't just throw all caution to the wind, because you do have to put some guardrails in place. And then it also depends on your your personal situation, you know, mm -hmm. if you're you're 22 and you don't have a lot of debt and, you know, you may be able to to live swing it, swing it yeah. longer or differently, you know, than if you are 30. And it's not to say that you can't do it or you shouldn't do it, but you better be prepared. Mm -hmm. And um, it just is, I think no matter what, because a couple of times I thought I got lucky, like a couple of times I'm like, all right, I got it, you know, yeah. like I got this it's what deal. I want, you know, yeah. like this is going to come through and, you know, then it didn't. And so when that happens, I guess just be prepared for it to take way longer than you think. Than like you if expect. someone told me this is going to take like three years, I'd be like, oh, 
oh no yeah <laughs> you're like do uh, i even want to uh, do this right? if I have to wait three uh, years? yeah to kind of get <laughs> get to where i i feel you know uh content with where i've hit hit you know there's always more goals obviously but so yeah be prepared have a have a backup plan or another another source of of income or stability yes um and and just make sure you don't hustle too hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think that's really practical advice. You know, it's not pie in the sky. It's very practical advice. And I talk about that all the time, too. Like, people ask me also, they're like, well, how, how'd you have the guts to start your own business? But it's, it's not so much jumping off a cliff. It's really, depending on your risk tolerance, it's taking a calculated risk. Mm -hmm. Now, in this mm -hmm. case, this really stretched you. It, there were called, like you said, sleepless nights, yes. dark days, you know, self-doubt. Um, How'd you get through that? Like, who who helped you? What did you tell your family as you were going through this? So, I mean, I, I want to give, like, a huge shout-out to my husband, Mark, who's an amazing guy. man yes, and really supported me, like, 100% on my journey and was just there for me. I mean, you know, we... It was really for me. It was all about the job, you know, in cannabis. And mm -hmm. so he was like, "We'll we'll move wherever you want. We'll do whatever you want." What a you know, fabulous spouse. Yeah, That's amazing. Yeah. So he was really like always believed in me and and could bounce things off of and mm -hmm. was there for me when I was down and my biggest Aww. cheerleader and all that good <laughs> stuff. So definitely, um, you know, my husband was great and you know, I have two two little kids, so they're always like rooting for their mommy, Aww. but they didn't really know what was going on like at a, right. at a in a at a uh, lower level so um but yeah I mean my family my 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 parents it's like well um I don't think it's like a secret that I that I'm a, a cannabis user but it's not something I really you know talk to them a lot about yeah and, um I guess I just felt like with them you're you're kind of on a need to know basis you know so <laughs> you know I'll, I'll let you know what I'm up to but it, I'll limit it kind of a don't ask don't tell you know not that I was really embarrassed but it was yeah. like just after like leaving the family business and kind of having my dad's counsel like every single day for 12 years oh, I was yeah. sort of ready to kind of like make my own yeah, mark no. and yeah yeah, not not really. Um, yeah, be under his shingle. Yeah, or have shadow. them like you know advising me on on how to get in the cannabis business. That's that's not their bailiwick. So yeah, exactly. But. Well, I like what you said about. Um, it's interesting. It's not just that. Hey, this is something I love. Let me go after it. Like I love rock music. Let me become a rock star. You saw this as a pivotal business opportunity. Oh, definitely. So, and I remember you spoke to me and you said that the reaction was curiosity. I felt the same way. You know, I, I don't know a lot about the industry. Whatever I have learned, it's been from you. But it's a pivotal time in history. The way I heard you describe it is that there, it's like the gold rush or something, right? Definitely. Like it only happens once. Yep. It might happen twice, but it's not the same as when it happens the first time. Yep. So you wanted to uh, position yourself. Share with us, like, I mean, pretend we know nothing. Okay. What is it about the cannabis industry? Why should people pay attention? Well, it's growing like crazy. Why? So because it's been federally illegal um, for over 50, maybe 80 years, I forget. It's been federally illegal mm -hmm. for a long time. So you're not allowed to grow cannabis, use cannabis. It's a schedule one drug. So mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing is there just hasn't been, you know, any opportunities or access. So now that things are starting to change, there's 
just this huge upswing, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, growing cannabis, right? That's mm -hmm. a that's a thing. Um, but there's also transporting the cannabis, you know, mm -hmm. there's also manufacturing. So are you mm -hmm. gonna, there's not just the flour that you smoke in a pipe, right? There are people have brownies and tinctures and, you know, all these different uh, form factors that they can consume. And so mm -hmm. then there's the manufacturing aspect, there's agriculture, there's food, there's mm -hmm. um, CBD also comes from the, the cannabis plant, right? So there's a whole health and wellness, you know, mm -hmm. there's lotions, there's, so there's just all these, and then, you know, there's advertising, there's the packaging and, yes. um, you know, I'm in the science side and science and testing side of cannabis now. so. Um, there's just so many ancillary businesses and so mm -hmm. many opportunities to make money and be creative. And, mm -hmm. and so I think that there's just like a, you know, moss to a light, right? People are just attracted to this, um, fun and exciting and new, um, business. Yes. And then, yeah. Well, I'll yeah. tell you, you really opened my eyes to it. And, and I always like to quote you because I think it's so cute. Like, uh, how you state things. <laughs> <laughs> but you were like, hey, it's not just a bunch of hippies smoking pot in the back. When you and I actually collaborated and we were looking into what is there an intersection with the government? Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, with GovCon, which seems like such a crazy question to ask. But I think we were both uh, pleasantly surprised to see that there are so many health and wellness applications to it. Mm -hmm. Things that people really don't know in the treatment of depression, suicide prevention, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. PTSD, you know, PTSD, epilepsy. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yup. So can you tell us more about that? I mean, when it comes to, you know, government and actually I'm in DC for a, a psychedelic, um, science, uh, conference that's, that's being held here. Um, and they talk about this as well, but in terms of military, you know, veterans are a huge population mm -hmm. that everybody's trying to serve, right? Mm -hmm. Democrats, Republicans, yes. like everybody wants to be like a friend of the veteran, you know? And mm -hmm. so they're finding, um, that cannabis and psychedelics, you know, again, for, it's one thing if you're like, I want to smoke pot, get high, listen to music, you know, like, great. But you know, if you've been to war, mm -hmm. you know, and you're, you're severely depressed. I mm -hmm. mean, not, not I'm in a grouchy mood, but just, you know, it's called a clinical, clinical or, or, um, um, resistant, resistant treatment, resistant, I can't remember the treatment exact term. Resistant. Yeah. Treatment resistant depression. I don't think that's exactly right, but you know, and they're doing these, these medical studies and they're, they're finding, you know, that, People can can have a psychedelic mm -hmm. experience, or they can, you know, start con consuming cannabis, you know, uh, and and it will uh, lessen their uh, desire to use opioids. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing with veterans who come back and they're so depressed and sad and mm -hmm. anxious that they become addicted to opioids, and mm -hmm. cannabis can really help with that. And um, you know, low uh, for pain, just mm -hmm. physical pain and inflammation and. And so now, and it's, it's low cost, especially compared to a lot of the, you know, pharma drugs. And so yes. the military is starting to see this and, and veterans are these great candidates um, mm -hmm. because the things that they've tried, traditional therapy, traditional drugs, just haven't worked. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, yes, there's a lot of government funding um, to study um, ways you can prevent those kind of things in veterans and, you know, yeah. what, are the, what are the different benefits 
um, to the cannabis plant and, you know, again, you get industrial hemp. I mean, that's like a whole other thing. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, consuming cannabis for, for anything like that. But you can literally, you know, make textiles and, and all kinds of, you know, great things there. So that's a whole nother industry yeah. that I think people think cannabis, they think, oh yeah, hippie smoking, yes. but you know, the, but you know, again, industrial hemp is a billion dollar industry that has, has nothing to do with altering your, your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So it's just super fascinating to it me. It really is. And I mean, you can hear the passion in your voice as you mm -hmm. talk about this. Uh, it just lights you up. It really does. And I think that's, I mean, in terms of like your audience and you know finding your why and and getting that hustle and and what makes me it's like I'm legitimately like extremely interested in cannabis cannabis mm -hmm. policy what people think about cannabis talking about cannabis and so like I listen to cannabis investing podcasts I watch it's webinars like, about it's cannabis very natural like, for you I right? read a, I read books about cannabis you know <laughs> I, and so for me it's 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 not fake you know yeah. and it was it was harder. Um, because I'm interested in business, I like making money, and um, and I had a lot of enthusiasm for manufacturing, and and I always got you know compliments on you know my mm -hmm. passion for the family business and stuff. But that's like nothing compared to uh, cannabis, you know, because yes. I wasn't really passionate about you know CNC machining, even though I <laughs> appreciated the the lifestyle it afforded me. So. Um, Isn't that interesting? Like you, it, it's kind of like goes back to that old adage that if you do what you love for a living, you'll never work a single day. I, and I feel that, you yeah. know, I feel that those first first couple of years, you know, I'm like traveling around and talking about cannabis <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, oh, this is so amazing. I just need somebody to pay me. Yes. You know, if I oh, could just you... find someone to pay me to travel around the world and talk about cannabis, I would be like thrilled. You did a lot of work for free. I did a lot of work for free or for potential a payoff opportunities. So, so I'll work on at the time, you know, like for for a commission or for a payoff at the end, mm -hmm. right? So, um, but sometimes when you do free work and then the client doesn't close, you don't get anything. Right. That's the risk you take. That's the risk you take, and that was a situation I was in. Um, where I had to quite a few things lined up and then COVID. And mm -hmm. so all the kind of paydays I was anticipating just never came to fruition. And that was really difficult mm -hmm. um, to already be like unemployed and yeah. kind of trying to figure it out for a year plus. And then I felt like I finally had some momentum and then I, yeah, COVID and that really, yeah. Put a kibosh on things. It was did, hard. Did you ever um, almost give up? Yes. Okay. I mean, I definitely kind of like what I said about like having guardrails. I mean, I had a couple, you know, big interviews and a, and a couple big opportunities and, you know, I didn't get them and I felt like I needed to do something. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm like, okay, maybe you weren't meant for, um, cannabis, maybe you should just be an investor and an advocate and care about cannabis, but maybe you need to get a job in manufacturing. You need to get some kind of job, you know? Yeah. And so then I would apply, um, for, you know, manufacturing positions. And then I, I can't say this for certain. Um, but then I felt like I sort of was a victim of, 
being in cannabis, right? So I have the like premium LinkedIn, so I can kind of see who's like looking at my profile, yeah. and and so you know I'd apply at, at a, you know traditional manufacturing, you know Fortune 500 whatever company, right? And I would you know notice the recruiter like looking you know at my LinkedIn, and then I wouldn't get follow up calls and i would assume it was due to the um the cannabis on the linkedin right and so i I even had like two resumes you know it's like cannabis industry resume and then like not cannabis industry resume but then it was weird to explain that like gap what have you been doing and i didn't want to put like cannabis and so so, really it was a real sacrifice it almost seems like you were potentially hurting a brand to the short thing like the short paycheck for you at the expense of your dream paycheck. Yeah, and it took me a while. I mean, even like the first year of just even mm-hmm. putting anything cannabis out there. You were um, scared. I was scared, yeah. Yeah. But you know, but you, not to the well, obviously did it, so. Yeah, not to the point where it paralyzed you. And Yvette, that's the thing. Like I said, you're probably not even aware of it. Uh, just because it's you, mm-hmm. but I truly mean it when I say like I've never met anybody with more hustle. I've never. Well, I feel the same way about you. <laughs> like you're one of my inspirations. Aww, no, I mean you. that. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, who do you look up to? I'm like Reba. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Kind of so you. you inspire me as well. Oh, thank yeah. you. That yeah. means a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you, I would love to hear your perspective on fear because I think the average American, we all know how we feel about fear. How does Yvette Pagano feel about fear? Is it even a thing? Are you even aware of it? I mean, I I identify more with feeling nervous. Okay. Like, I feel nervous more than I feel fear. Okay. So, um, I guess I learned this at forward maybe but it was mm-hmm. some some businessy phrase but control the controllables mm-hmm. so I guess when it comes to fear or nervousness I um, try to keep that in perspective right so you can control whether you're on time for the interview you control whether you mm-hmm. make 60 phone calls or 600 phone calls or six phone calls like you're mm-hmm. in control of that but like whether or not the person answers the phone that's yes. that you you know you you can't can't do anything about that. Right. You know, so you can be afraid that when they do answer the phone, maybe they won't be nice to you. You know, yes. maybe they'll tell you no. And and so fear of rejection is a huge thing. But um, you know, you miss all the shots you don't take, right? So I think just being cognizant of like, can I control this? Mm-hmm. And if you can't, then you really shouldn't waste your time being afraid because that's mm-hmm. just bad energy. It doesn't serve you well. Yeah, I love how you think because when I asked you earlier. Well, what do you tell somebody who's too afraid to try? You're like, well, just stay where you are. And it's funny, I've heard that before. It's like, yeah, if you don't have what if it If you takes. don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to. You know, you got to start at the within. And then even mm-hmm. self-confident people have moments of, of doubt. But yeah, you got to think you can do it or nobody else will. Exactly. Yeah. So Yvette, I always think back, and it's funny, like you've said so many little things that have affected my life like throughout the years that you're probably not even aware of. You know, yeah, you're kind of like my mentor as well. But you and I had a very interesting conversation recently about powerful men in our industry. And we come from different industries. I'm in government contracting, you're in the cannabis industry. But the common thread is that we there are those group of powerful men that were on the frontier, they made it, They're in those positions of power. And what you said to me was, um, you said, Reba, sometimes if you can't beat them, you just have to join them. 
And I'm curious to hear, can you elaborate on what you mean there? Yeah, and I don't want to like cause um, too much controversy because <laughs> I'm definitely um, you know, a woman in business and support, support women and, and everybody else. Um, but I think it's just uh, reality, right? So it's 2022. Things have changed, but have they? I mean, mm -hmm. you look at like CEOs, like I'm in YPO, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's you have to have a, a certain criteria to get in, right? So five percent of the members are women. That it's means only not ninety five percent are men. Yeah, Jeez. and they want women so bad. Yeah, but they don't qualify. They don't meet the qualifications to join the organization. So. Yikes. And then even you, you're in GovCon, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, oh, we're gonna reserve, you know, 20% for mm -hmm. women and minorities. It's like, okay, well then the other 80% has been reserved for the people who always get it, which is white men. men. Yes. So good for mm -hmm. you. But I think that the white men are control control the majority of the power levels even today in 2022. So mm -hmm. I. Um, I feel like sometimes you can push people too hard mm -hmm. and this like, overwokeness, if you will, right? Yeah. And then I think powerful people start to resent that. Yes. And it's like, oh, you, you, we want more women on the board. We want more women on the board. Well, you know what? Like in our board meetings, we like to drink whiskey and smoke cigars, so no women and yeah. screw you, you know? And, yeah. and I think if you if you push too hard on your agenda, it's like, well, in order to get power, somebody's gotta relinquish it, right? So how profound. If there's a if there's a you know, a board of, of ten white men, you wanna be on the board, it's either like, well, is one of them gonna give up their seat or are yeah. they gonna make an eleventh seat for you? But if you're not willing to kind of meet them where they are, and yes. I, I say you got to be true to yourself, but it's yes. like, you know, I don't really like golf, yeah. but I am, you know, my third generation Oak Hill Country Club, right? Because <laughs> I know that that's a place where white men like to go to talk about business. And, right. and so I think just that comfortability level um, without, like I said, losing yourself um, can make it easier um, for those powerful people to, to give you a chance at, at a powerful position. Well, the, I think that's really profound. And the other thing that you had said, I mean, the key is not to lose yourself. Yeah, I yeah. hundred percent agree with that. Don't lose who you are. Don't try to change who you are. Right, right. And quite frankly, in my experience, what I found is those po powerful white men are not necessarily expecting you to change who you are. You know, but if you can, like you said, like meet them halfway, like I've, I've had tremendous support in my career, personal mentoring um, and otherwise. Um, but I, I, just, I don't know if that's a white man, Indian woman, black woman or any type of thing. I think it's just a human thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I agree. I agree. And I just think, yeah, pushing too much too fast, it just, it makes people get uncomfortable and then, then they just become completely closed off to anything. Well, the other thing that you had said to me that really struck me as, you know, tremendous wisdom is that you're like, how, why wouldn't I want to learn? Like, like it or not, I may not like it, but these are the people who are currently successful in these echelons and they are privy to a special level of operation. Why wouldn't I want to learn from that? Like, I mean, 
not every single one of them was born with the single the silver spoon in their mouth. They must know something, and that learning could be powerful to me in my career. Oh, is, definitely. Is said. Yeah. Those are the guys who are doing the deals. You got to talk to. Yeah, where's the sausage made? Let me in the room. <laughs> you know, I just want to be at the table when some of this stuff is going down. You know, again, I'm just so interested, right? I just love it. So, well, what's so great is that you've gen I, and I've seen it firsthand. You've earned the respect. It's not that um, and you deserve every bit of that respect. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But well, I, yeah, adding value, yes. you know, like, I mean, like I said, having something intelligent to say and then, yeah, adding value, whether it's to the conversation or to their business, but just being some type of asset, right? Mm -hmm. Then anyone will talk to you if you're going to make them smarter, make them richer, you know, make them more interesting, right? So. Exactly. Because like in the interactions that I've witnessed, it never feels to me like, oh, Yvette is the woman in this group. Not at all. She's a member of this group. Yeah. Somebody who earned her seat and has something valuable to share that people want to hear. So bravo to you. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. For all of my friends in the government contracting business, I want to tell you about a company I know well, led by one of our guests on East Coast Hustle, Kevin Fitzpatrick at GovTech. Kevin and his team are experts in liability issues that face the GovCon industry. Now, back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik. And today's special guest, Yvette Pagano. Yvette, did you ever, on the same topic, did you ever have to, do, can you think of a time in your life where you had to face discrimination? And if so, how did you overcome it? So I kind of, it's hard to know if I face discrimination by being a cannabis advocate because like, <laughs> no one's ever like, you know, literally said anything to me. So, yeah. Um, but the one I reflected on this question and um, when I started at uh, car engineering, which was our, our family business, um, it was it was like before Twitter got big, but um, there was like this thing on Craigslist. It was like raves and faves or something. <laughs> but anyway, some employee wrote this really mean post about me. Oh no, about you specifically? Yeah, yeah, Ouch. yeah. It Ouch. was bad. So it was that like, oh, daddy's little girl comes back with her fancy degree and thinks she know. It was like it was oh, really. Oh my god. It was pretty bad, and so then of course like <laughs> I found out and was upset and 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 then you know I felt like the whole company didn't like me and um felt embarrassed and it was yeah. just really crappy and um so then my I think it might have been my boyfriend at the time but uh Mark uh my now husband we sort of catfished it so he wrote this like oh uh you know my my son's applying for a job there you know can you and then we thought oh if we get an email we're you know check the email or to be little investigators but um so the person did respond on the forum so we never knew who who it was but oh they did they respond? did respond because they thought that you know someone was asking about their son right it was really Mark but in the end they said oh I'm I'm one of the ones she let go um but 
uh, it's a cool place to work. There's cable in the break room or some <laughs> crap. So <laughs> the um, the moral of the story is um, that the person who wrote it was was a former employee. Mm. Um, but I mean that really sucked. I mean that I felt hurt. it was it was it, yeah I said it was embarrassing. It was shameful and everybody saw it and yeah. you know all that. So um, I think that. Um, I I know um, when I left, you know, car engineering, like some of the comments I got from the employees, you know, mm -hmm. were were really sincere and kind. And so I know that I was, you know, well liked and respected. And so and that was, you know, those were early days. And and so I think to overcome a discrimination like that, you know, oh, you're the boss's kid. Oh, you don't really deserve to be here if you're ever anyone mm -hmm. is in that situation is just um, prove them wrong. You know, so, you know, I got there 20 minutes before everybody else. You know, I showed up on Saturday, too, with bagels. And, yeah. you know, and, and the one thing my dad said is he said, you know, it's not a popularity contest. He said, you drag work through the door, you bring business over the line. These guys will like you, you know, mm -hmm. he's like, you just got to keep keep dragging business through the door, you know, and growing the company, you know, record record growth, record profits. Um, so I earned, earned it. Um, so I think it's just not really telling everyone what you're going to do or, or yes, seeming like some know-it-all, but, it. but just, del just deliver and, and be consistent and humble and, and, you know, people can't help, but I think respect you once you do that. So it's so interesting. Like we talk about so many forms of unfair judgment on this show. And I think that's an interesting one that you pointed out, like the the nepotism piece. Mm -hmm. Like you could, legi you're legitimately qualified to be there. You know, you're a badass. You're working hard. Yeah. But oh, your daddy's little girl, or your daddy's little boy, or you know, we've had different things that we've talked about on the show with other guests. Like, oh, you were you were too pretty, mm -hmm. or you were you know. Well, I get that out. <laughs> african-american or whatever yeah, whatever it yeah, is yeah whatever it was that held you back but but you have kind of uh pointed to something that comes up all the time when i ask this question of guests and they say that almost the same thing that make yourself indispensable yeah like that's how you reverse discrimination in a lot of cases mm -hmm. like prove it work hard mm -hmm. work really hard do you feel that the, uh that sticker or that tag on you maybe caused you to work harder than you normally would have i think in the beginning yeah. i mean i don't know i'm i'm a hard worker regardless regardless yeah and i'm very goal orientated mm -hmm. you know so if it's this proposal's due you know sunday at 3 30 then i'll work as long or as hard as i need to to make sure it's done sunday mm -hmm. by 3 30 that's just me yeah um so but that was one of the things that did give me some confidence when I did, um, you know, sell back my shares and say, okay, I'm gonna. I don't know. I didn't know I was gonna do cannabis yet, but I knew I was gonna, you know, do something else. And right. um, is that I have, you know, always gotten the top marks on performance reviews and and good comments from my peers. And even when I resigned from Ford, you know, the regional mm -hmm. manager like almost started crying. He's like, well, two <laughs> weeks, this is all you're giving me, you know? And, and, and so just knowing I had those references and that, that history of, of good successes yes. um, did give me the confidence that, you know, I can go out, I can work for someone yes. um, and make the money and be successful. I just need the right, right platform. Exactly. And you also strike me as a person that doesn't necessarily want special treatment 
Like, you don't want... Well, I don't mind, like, walking red carpet or <laughs> somebody wants to put me on the VIP list. That's totally fine. Anyone watching? Uh, yes, please mark that. Yes. That wants that. Yes, yes. I'm but available. But I mean, like, in the work setting, seriously, it doesn't seem like you're looking... You've ever looked for anyone to treat you in a special way or um, give you special breaks. No. Right? No. Nope. I always just wanted to want a shot, right? I yeah. just want a chance. I just want to invite to the party, you know? I just want to be there. I love that about you. Um, what can you tell us about success? Like, what have you learned about success, both good and bad? So I um, have had the privilege of, like, being around a lot of successful people, you know, mm -hmm. through my network and stuff like that. Um, so I think that... Um, I think success is kind of what you define it, right? So is success a certain, you know, dollar figure? Mm -hmm. Is it this certain thing on your resume? You know, I mean... Um, You're a goal-oriented person. I'm a goal-oriented like, person. Like, what was your bar? So I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when I very first decided to get into cannabis, I put a sticky note on my mirror... And I it said, I will have an amazing job in cannabis. I am a total winner. <laughs> I love it. And I was That's up there awesome. for like two years, you know. Yeah. And 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 then I finally took it down and and I put it in my journal. And it was when things were like kind of starting to happen. And it's like, no, this is the wrong context. It's not. I will have an amazing job. Like you, you have an amazing job. You know, it's not longer. Not. It's not going to. It happen. So take it down and now you know move on. Right. So. Um, so I definitely had that sticky note up for a while and was like, come on, universe, throw me a bone. Um, that's so, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What, tell us about that. Like, since we're talking about spirituality, like, what are your, do you have spiritual beliefs about us on this planet and our mission and what we're doing? And, um, so a little, I do. I I guess I consider myself um, agnostic. So okay. I was I was raised Presbyterian, but um, didn't really go go for that once I got to college. Um, so I um, I do try to do you know daily meditation and you know set goals mm -hmm. and and be a spiritual person. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like an organized religion, I'm not really. Um, down with that program yeah um i did uh it's kind of funny but when i was in uh los angeles when i lived in la um like um early 2000s i was like looking for something some kind of religious thing yeah. and i was like seeking and i didn't know what i wanted and and there's a, a, a girl I worked with, and um, she's actually Buddhist. And mm -hmm. there's a sect. It's called the SGI. It's Sokagakai International. It's more of a newer Buddhism, if you will, um, from Japan. And so she's a, she was a member of, of this. And so she's like, oh, I'm having this meeting <laughs> at my house. I'm like, okay. And, and so um, when it, the three years I lived in L.A., I actually wound up joining SGI and, and, and getting into to Nichiren Buddhism. And then moved back to Rochester, and they just didn't have like as strong of a community, and so I kind of just sort of fizzled out of it. But mm -hmm. then during COVID, I was like, okay, I need something else, and yes. and so I actually got out. I kept kept it under my bed for like seven years, and pulled out the scroll and kind of set up my little altar, <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And yeah. so then I did kind of incorporate that like back into my. Um, 
practice and, and, and stuff. And so then I've reached out to the SGI of Buffalo, but everything's all messed up still because COVID. And, but yeah. anyway, so I have sort of a, a re-engage with that. Um, but that, that was helpful for me when I, when I was in LA and I, it's a good, it was good. So I don't know. That's my religious well, we all need that, thing. right? Yeah. We need that thing. I mean, you had your husband who was so super supportive mm -hmm. during the dark times. You need your friends, you need your community, but every time, every now and then you need a lot more. Yeah. We'll be back with more East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba Magulik, after this brief timeout. On this show, I never promote executive leaders and companies that I don't know well. My friends and colleagues at Accelerate Solutions are truly gifted experts across the company's three service areas, enterprise security, digital transformation, and strategic consulting. Accelerate optimizes efficiency and effectiveness and enhances the security of America's physical and cyber infrastructure, as well as personnel. Agencies as large, complex, and important as the FBI depend on Accelerate. To learn more, visit AccelerateSolutions.com. That's X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-E Solutions.com. Now back to East Coast Hustle with your host, Reba McGulick, and today's special guest, Yvette Pagano. Can you tell us about Gentech Scientific and their mission? Absolutely. Um, so Gentech Scientific is located in Arcade, New York. So it's about 40 miles south of Buffalo. Okay. Um, we uh, are owned by private equity. So it's uh, mm -hmm. Lakelet Capital, um, also out of Buffalo. Okay. And um, we recently uh, acquired our largest competitor, which is Conquer Scientific in San Diego. So, wow, way to go. Yeah, it was awesome. So <laughs> what is the mission of Gentech and Conquer? Um, is they are actually in the refurbished analytical uh, lab equipment space. Okay. So um, they uh, service and sell refurbished lab equipment to all industries. So they're uh, in tox even outside of cannabis. Yes. Yeah, so cannabis okay. is about twenty five percent of the of the portfolio of business that Gentech and Conquer do. So gotcha. they do toxicology, okay. environmental, academia, pharma, um, ag. So sort of like a used car dealership, mm -hmm. but for science equipment. Interesting. Yes, That's and a good so it's a very fast growing part of cannabis, which is testing and regulation. I see. So if you're in Virginia and you want to sell cannabis, you need to get a license, and then one of the rules is you have to get your cannabis tested mm -hmm. by an accredited third-party lab. So these okay. labs, just like I said, just like a toxicology lab, they get licensed by the state, and these labs have to perform six major tests. So they have to test the cannabis for mycotoxins, they have to test the cannabis for how potent it is, mm -hmm. make sure there's no pesticides, there's no heavy metals, residual solvents, they have to do the terpene profile. Okay. So in order to pass the test, to be a lab that says, okay, this, this potency is X, 
you need super expensive science equipment. Mm -hmm. So you won't be able to achieve your result without the science equipment. It's, it's a must it's, have. You have to have it. You Got know, it. just like you can't really hammer in a nail without a hammer. It's just, you can't push it. You need a hammer, right? It's the same same thing. Okay. Um, and so you can buy these instruments um, mm -hmm. brand new um, from prestigious companies. Agilent is probably the leader. Um, there's Syac, Shimatsu, um, Perkin Elmer's, Waters. Mm -hmm. There's all these different brands. So you can go to them. You can buy it brand new. Okay. Um, and to do a complete cannabis lab, for example, with all new Agilent equipment, it would run you about $1.2 million. Oh, wow. But then you'd be an accredited lab. And so then you all these... You check that box. You could, so yeah. And, okay. and so you'd have that. And then, um, again, you could say, okay... Mr. Grower, bring in your cannabis. I'm going to test it for potency. I'm charging $300 a sample. And then you're a working, productive lab, and you're making money, and you're on your mm -hmm. way. Um, and if you were to do that same exact lab with a Gentech or a Conquer package, which you could still get Agilent equipment, but, you know, instead of a brand new, you know, be maybe a 2017 used by a university for a few years, but we'll refurbish it. So mm -hmm. we'll bring it all the way up to the OEM or original equipment manufacturer level. Mm -hmm. So if you do like a car analogy, if it's guaranteed to go zero to 60 in three seconds, we'll also guarantee that your refurbished equipment will go zero to 60 in three seconds. We okay. Give the tune report and all that stuff so you know what you're getting. Um, so for a cannabis lab, uh, we're doing, you know, full cannabis labs for clients, um, $400,000. Oh my gosh. That's like a fraction. Yeah. So again, $400,000 is still real money, right? Yeah, that's yeah. a nice, nice big check. Somebody's got to write, um, you know, but it's a heck of a lot cheaper than, you know, 1.2. 1.2 million. Yeah, exactly. So you can either lower your CapEx, right? So you're trying to raise money or, you know, so instead of raising 1.2 million, you can just raise 400,000. Um, or alternatively, um, you could do double the production, right? So you can buy two used instruments or refurbished instruments. You can get twice as much through. Um, or sometimes people buy refurbished as like a backup machine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, not just cannabis. I mean, we have... Uh, Fortune 100 companies. Again, we're very in the uh, academic academic space. Of course, that um, makes sense. Yeah, if you're a PhD and you're writing a grant because you want to study, you know, phosphate in water, which mm -hmm. you'd also use analytical science equipment for. Um, you know, you can you can write a grant. You can get a you know LCMSMS from Gentech. You know, 150, 200 thousand dollars. Or you can write four more grants and get a brand new one for six hundred thousand. Right. But again, if the instrument is sensitive enough to, be, to able to be able to detect the phosphates in the water in this example, yeah. you know, why wouldn't you get a refurbished? Exactly. Um, and so universities um, and academia just really understand that value. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're really our, our very best customers. The universities. Um, okay. The universities, yeah. And some of some of them are studying cannabis and hemp, but, um, you know, a lot of them are, are ag or or. Again, there's just a million uh, things you can study with analytical science equipment. So this is so fascinating. I yeah. mean, it's so different from my industry, DC GovCon. But that's what I love about the conversations that happen in the studio. Like it just it stretches you. You learn, you gain insights into so many different fascinating industries. Yeah. So Yvette, I want to close by asking you. What's next for the cannabis industry? What should we all be paying attention to? Because you described it as kind of like this gold rush, this pivotal point in time. I know inside conversations that we've had, 
I didn't even know about this, but you were exposing me to uh, hotel concepts, restaurant concepts, things that some of these venture capitalists that you work with Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Are you willing to share some of that with us? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, those are two good examples. So I was just at MJ Unpacked and and, uh, it was uh, presented... uh, so I don't think I'm uh, breaking any NDAs here, but it's like, uh, I think it's high B&B or something like that. So they literally are coming high out. High B&B? Yeah. So it's like these uh, <laughs> Airbnbs where they're cannabis friendly, you know? So yeah. yeah, again, a lot of people like to smoke cannabis, but they certainly don't want to be disrespectful in somebody's home. But, right. you know, if you're in an adult use state, so there's a, there's a market for that, right? Where you can go on these just run an Airbnb that's like 420 friendly or something like that. There are restaurants that are, um, and just infused dinners is becoming a big thing. So whether you hire a private chef and he comes to your house and you do like a dinner party for 10 people and it's cannabis infused or, um, you know, certain restaurants and stuff, that's all kind of conceptual, but there's, there's lounges opening, um, in, in Hollywood and California consumption lounges. And so there's all that kind of stuff that's mm-hmm. coming. But I mean, people ask me this, you know, oh, what, what inning are we in? You know, when I'm like, we're in like the bottom of the first, I mean, this is like barely getting going. I mean, you've got 36 states where it's approved for medical. I think there's, what, 16 for adult use. And okay. it's like there's 50 states in the union, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. there, there are states where there's not even approved for medical. Right. You know? I mean, you talk about New York and it's coming on. They say legal cannabis at the end of this year. We'll see. Um, but, I mean, it's like a $3 billion just in New York. I mean, Michigan, it's wow. legal for adult use, Michigan, and and they're going to do $2 billion this year in Michigan in cannabis, legal cannabis sales in the state Are of Michigan. Serious? I'm serious. Wow. And so everyone's like all jazzed about New York, and I am too, and I'm a New York resident. Yay. Come on, <laughs> New York. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> but I'm like. Michigan's happening now. Illinois is happening now. You know, yes. like those states are like full adult use and they're just printing money, wow. you know, so it's just exciting times and it's just like it's barely getting going. And I mean, if I said, OK, Reba, you know, what's your favorite kind of makeup? You know, what's your favorite brand of cereal? You mm-hmm. know, who's your favorite couture designer? Right. You could probably name those like pretty easily. And if I'm like, hey, you know, I know you're not a cannabis user, but even if I was like, Reba, name a cannabis brand, any mm-hmm. brand, you know, name mm-hmm. me a high end cannabis brand, name me a low end cannabis brand. Like you can't, I assume, even name a brand. Mm-hmm. No. So and the, because it is federally, you know, illegal still, it's that's the thing. So you know, I was just at this conference in New York, right? And so now there's these brands in California. So what's going to be the play? You know, are these brands from California going to come to New York and say, okay, we're this cool California brand and now bias in New York or is New York going to create their own brands, you know, and it's this New York brand and, you know, how is that even going to work? And then who's going to have the first national brand? And I mean, what, what's it going to be? And I mean, there's like just so much upside, right? Cause the, they talk about, you know, cannabis 2.0, 3.0, and they say it's, it's, it's brands. I mean, Budweiser's a brand, Miller's a brand, you know, Dos is a brand, right? And, and nobody's like, oh, I know this 
awesome farm that grows these great hops and Dosakis yeah. buys them and puts them in their beer, right? Like <laughs> hops are a commodity, you know? Yes. Like, and I feel not that cannabis will be a commodity because they'll always be that craft mm-hmm. cannabis, but you know, no one's going to really care. And that, most people don't care, right? They mm-hmm. just want to have the fact, whether it's medical or recreational and, mm-hmm. oh, there no, there's no pesticides in it. Great. You know, like that. Yeah, good very, enough. yeah. Yeah. Right. Just like FDA, right? You eat the banana. You're not like, okay, let me see every little thing that went, you know, you assume it's safe. It's in the grocery store story you know you eat right. it um so i think that the the brands will be the the next frontier right whoever whoever coins that national brand or or maybe craft foods or clinique is just going to buy mm-hmm. some brand already you know once things become legal and then oh, excuse me bring it all the way up into so who knows right nobody knows but that's why it's an exciting exciting field to, to think about and study and Right. If you're into marketing and branding oh, yes. and creating something new. And it was I went to a, um, a science uh, conference, actually, uh, for cannabis testing, mm-hmm. cannabis scientists and um, was chatting with some of them. And, you know, most people don't grow up in cannabis. Right. They come from a different lab. A different, right. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I was I was a lot of mm-hmm. them come from food or like natural products. And they're like, OK, now I'm going to start, you know, working cannabis and. And they're like, yeah, one guy's like, food, I mean, it's interesting, but he's like, there's nothing new. There's like no new way to like test milk. Like we know how to do it. It, There's no new technology. You can do it a little faster, more efficient, but he's like, it's the same old thing. Yeah. He's like cannabis research, cannabis testing. He's like, it's it's like a new day every day. We're finding new things. We're like, you know, medical uses and different applications. And it's like every day I go and it's like, I don't know what I'm going to find. And so if you're a scientist or, you know, a super curious person and, you know, you haven't been allowed to research this, you know, for so long. And now all of a sudden the floodgates are opening. You're like a kid in a candy store. I mean, I really got that vibe from a lot of these scientists at this specific conference, you know, and they're like, I'm in cannabis because it's, it's exciting. Uncharted territory. Yeah. You know, what if you figure out really how to shrink a tumor? You know, there's evidence that, oh, cannabis can shrink a cancer tumor, you know, but like, mm-hmm. what if you're the scientist that distills it all the way down to like, no, this molecule like reduces a tumor, like I you could cure cancer. I mean, you know, so it's just exciting, I think, mm-hmm. for people to have this new opportunity um, to be, be in the industry. Gracious, Yvette, you have like lit me on fire. Like that's so (laughs) exciting to hear you talk about this. I know everybody that listened in today feels the same way. Um, You've got the hustle, as we said. Thank you. And for all of the uh, hustlers out there listening to this, I think there's so many takeaways. But one is that you can make a career pivot. You absolutely can. Yvette is living evidence of this, particularly if it's a field that you're so passionate about that it just doesn't feel like work, where it lights you up you know, from the inside out. There is a path to it. Is it easy? No. No. There are some sleepless nights. There are financial circumstances, so many circumstances that, uh, that surrounded it. But is it worth it to you? That, I think, embodies the hustle. And I really appreciate you coming in here and sharing this with us. Oh, it was my pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.